Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we find out how you can transform manufacturing with smarter chemistry. Now, gluing and sticking things together is an incredibly important part of manufacturing processes, but is there a way that you can make glue set with the flick of a switch and some magnets? Plus, ways we can make gears and simple machines just using chemistry as a guide. Now, gluing something back together is something we've probably all experienced, maybe accidentally knocking something, having something snap or break, or maybe crafting something for yourself. Glue can be pretty handy. Most people would have used single part glues, which is those one type of glue, which you apply to a surface and then dries. But for those more difficult tasks, or something where you need a bit of extra strength, maybe you would have used a two part or an epoxy. Now, these are great because you can use that to bond plastic, ceramic, and wood. And that is really useful. But most of the time, these epoxies either use a couple of different triggers to actually cure or set. They might require a specific curing temperature, which could be from room temperature all the way up to 80 degrees, or time-based, or you name it. Now, the curing process is necessary to give this epoxy glue its strength. By combining two different materials together, you actually create a stronger glue. Fantastic, great. But you actually need to get them to bond in order to become stronger. So how do you cross-link these two together? How do you combine these two polymers and ensure that they're bonded enough to each other? That's what separates a moderately strong glue from a super strong glue. Now Nanyang Technological University, NTU, in Singapore, have developed a new way to cure these adhesives together that doesn't rely on temperature or light or anything like that. It relies on magnets. Now this is pretty amazing because you can actually use the magnetic field to create an on-off switch for bonding your epoxies. And trust me, if you've ever tried to glue something together and you're desperately trying to get it done before it cures and sticks into place or are holding it patiently in place waiting for it to set, well, having something you can turn on and off with the flick of a switch would be really useful for everything from just hand simple models to repaired objects to bike frames, helmets, golf clubs. All these kind of objects need these two-part mixes where you have a resin and a hardener. But you know, normally the reaction starts immediately. So oh God, you're really rushing to get it done. Now the other part is, imagine that you have a big object, a large chunk of wood or metal or rubber. A gluing in here, in the inside surface that you've applied the glue, getting the light or the heat, or the air to try and activate or cure the epoxy to the center, that's really tricky. No, no, forgetting the timing aspect of it. Actually trying to get to the center is sometimes near impossible. So again, this is where having an on-off switch that you can use that can penetrate through objects, really useful. And it comes a step further when you consider something like carbon fiber. Now in carbon fiber manufacturing, often what they do is they take layers, sheets of carbon fiber, and they mold them into a shape and they press each of the sheets on top of each other. Now sometimes you can squirt in the epoxy in a high pressure, high temperature press. Other times they paint on the epoxy on each layer, glue it down, paint on, glue it down, paint on, glue it down. And they need to use these high temperature ovens to help cure the epoxy glue over many hours. The problem is the high energy and high cost for producing this carbon fiber means that it's really difficult to do. If you had some way to just activate the curing process without having to stick it in a massive press and heat it up for hours, well, 
That would be fantastic for making lightweight materials out of carbon fiber. Now, this magnetocuring material that NTU has developed took a standard commercially available epoxy. They injected magnetic nanoparticles developed by NTU scientists into it. Now, it doesn't need to be mixed with any hardener or accelerator like two component epoxies, which have the two materials that you mix in. So it's basically a single material epoxy, which makes it really easy to manufacture and apply, and also really easy to produce because it's already commercially available. The part that's being injected is some small magnetic nanoparticles, so you're only producing a small volume of something new. So again, from a scalability and commerciality perspective, this is pretty interesting. We're not talking about some esoteric concept, we're talking about something that may actually be done relatively quickly. You only need one gram of magnetocuring adhesive, which could be easily cured by a 200 watt electromagnetic device in five minutes. Now, this is using around 120 times less energy than a typical oven. That would have been around a 2000 watt oven, which would take an hour, which is far more energy to cure that type of part before. Now, the researchers involved in this paper, which was published in the journal Applied Materials Today, were Professor Rajul Ramajunan, Associate Professor Terry Steele, and Dr. Richard Chaldroy. Now, the good news about this epoxy is that, well, it works without actually decreasing the strength of the existing epoxy glue. Even though they're not adding a hardener or fast cure, they're actually still making it strong enough to actually work just as well as a standard epoxy around the strength of seven megapascals, which is pretty much on par with most commercial grade adhesives. Now, another big challenge for curing and sticking things together with epoxies is that if you're trying to stick something together that is heat sensitive, well, then heating it up really, really hot to glue them together doesn't really help. Sometimes when you have an object that's particularly heat sensitive, the surface may change, the shape may deform, or the properties of the material may be destroyed by a high temperature process. So in such instances, a material like this that doesn't rely on heat means you can produce heat-sensitive materials like flexible electronics or biodegradable plastics without having to go through the complicated method of epoxying and then heating up to a tremendous amount to just to bond them together. Now, the purpose of these nanoparticles that they've injected into the glue is effectively a combination of manganese, zinc, and iron. And they're designed to heat up when electric magnetic energy is passed through them. Now the heat then activates the curing process. But because you can design these nanoparticles specifically, you can control almost exactly where and how much heat is generated from the magnetic field. And by adjusting the amount of magnetic field applied to these particles, you can actually also adjust how much heat you introduce. That means you have a real fine-tuned interior and exterior application of heat. Now if you've ever tried to cook something in an oven, or used a meat thermometer, you know how important even heat can be. And getting heat all the way into a large roast or a large curing piece of bonded plastic, well, that's quite difficult as well. For example, when you take sports shoes, it's often really difficult to heat up the adhesive between the rubber sole and the upper half of the shoe. This happens to be incredibly complex because rubber that you're putting into the sole is a heat insulator, so you can't pass heat through it to get to that interior surface to activate the glue. What they end up doing is actually heating up the shoe over a long period of time just to try and pass enough heat in, getting through the insulated material just to activate the glue. 
this case, if you used a magnetic field activated glue, you could do it in not only half the time, but also much simpler process with a lot less waste. You can also automate this, so it then goes through a station and then gets the heat turned on and off by passing through a magnetic field. This kind of thing is what we'd really be doing to greatly boost manufacturing efficiency. Rather than having highly energy intensive processes, we can actually have ones that are relatively low energy intensive, which means that you could produce and a lot of parts for a lot less energy. And that is great news, not just for the company producing them, means cheaper products, but also means great news for our environment because we're burning less fossil fuels in order to generate electricity to heat up these parts in order to bond them together. And this is one of the important parts. Manufacturing efficiency seems like something that's more important for the manufacturer itself, but actually it's incredibly important for our planet as well. If we can make our manufacturing processes more efficient, less energy intensive, that's good news for us because it reduces the electricity demand of these industries, which also improves our overall CO2 emissions. Some great news from NTU about a way to develop specifically magnetically activated glue. In the history of manufacturing, we can often consider it to be defined, at least in a Western setting, to four industrial revolutions. The first was, of course, the movement from hand production methods to automating them using steam and water power. The production of gears, the steam train, you name it. Especially in areas like textile manufacturing, which started having automated looms and fibre-spinning machines. Now, later on, once the railway and the telegraph were developed, well, that was considered the second because it allowed for goods to be transported and increased electrification meant that you could electrify a production line. The third was the invention of transistors and computers. Well, that enabled simple switching to be conducted. The so-called fourth industrial revolution is when you digitize completely, you have widespread automation. Now, that's all well and good, but the starting point for any sort of manufacturing revolution is the ability to do work or convert work from one form to another. And while we can do this on a really large scale, how can we do this on a really small scale? Because at the moment we're producing things like gears and mechanisms and levers and belts and pulleys on a large scale, which is great. But the development of small scale things enables us to decentralize these processes right down to a really simple level and develop machines that are not only really small, but could do specific functions that a larger machine just couldn't consider. That's a so-called nano machines concept or having machines themselves that are generated from a sort of chemical base. And that's what researchers from University of Pittsburgh have published in the journal Matter. Key authors on this paper were Professor Anna Balazas, along with fellow authors like Abhijit Laskar and Oleg Shahalev. Now, what they were working on was developing a flat two-dimensional sheet that had a special chemical coating on the top. But the right circumstance, it spontaneously morphs, changes shape, into a three-dimensional gear, and not for a one-off, but a three-dimensional gear that can continuously work on a sustained basis. Now, a gear is one of those fundamental machine concepts. We can use it to amplify or increase speed, and this is a really useful thing for all kinds of machines. They give mechanical machines life. 
But the problem is, any gear needs to be turned or have some kind sort of driving motive element to it. And that's also difficult. When we talked about the ages of revolution, you know, steam powered a lot of those. Electricity sort of is the major form at the moment. But Abhijit Laskar was developing computational modeling that shows chemical or chemomechanical transduction. So basically conversion of chemical energy into motion can be used to drive a gear and also drive it, but also form it. Now, this obviously is not necessarily a fully scalable machine at this point, but it started with simulations. They took a catalyst and they placed it on various points on a flat sheet resembling a wheel with two spokes with heavier nodes on the sheet's circumference. The flexible sheet was around a millimeter in length and it was placed in a tiny microchamber. They added a reactant on top of it that activates the catalyst on the flat well, causing the fluid to spontaneously start to flow. The inward flow, though, is what's key here because it drives the lighter sections of the sheet to pop up, which actually forms a rotor that catches the flow as it goes past like a turbine and rotates it. Now, that's interesting because what they're doing there is actually creating a means of generating motion from a chemical process. That's cool, right? Now, they're using that deformation process of this thin sheet to actually create movement. Deformation in an object is pretty interesting because you can trigger it a lot of different ways. You see it in nature. Um, that's how leaves and flowers, for example, change shape. They also can use to catch fluid flow and use that to you know, grow a plant or funnel the water into a place that you wanted to. And one of the key things they had to do to actually get it to move, though, was not only just use this chemical reaction, but also it needed to be asymmetrical. So they had to place things in the right spot to be able to make it rotate either clockwise or counterclockwise. So they could have some control over it depending on which areas they pre-prepared. You can even cascade these. So you have like a gearbox or a gear train with some turning one way, some turning the other way in a cascading effect. Now that means you can actually make a complex gear mechanism purely out of chemical motion. Now, okay. Self-morphing gears and chemically driven gears might sound like a pretty odd concept, but why is it important? Well, you're not going to use this to power a car or a factory line, but having a type of machine that's only a millimeter in size that then stays flat, then converts upon chemical activation into something very different that actually can do motive work. Now, that would be incredible for flexible and soft robotics, especially things that get placed into something for example, internal medicine, or maybe distributed systems. Now, these small-cow chemical machines and soft robots, this is one of those things that will eventually come. It's not quite there yet, but you could have these small sheet-activated robots that at some point have a chemical released that then start to turn into some sort of motive action. Could enable all kinds of things, from machines that live inside a large structure that activate and turn on to move across it or clean it or whatever when the chemical is released, which could be time-based or crack-based dependent. Now, because these all respond to deformation, well, that's pretty good because you can actually get it to, let's say something breaks, maybe you release a small machine that pulls it back together. This is the kind of thing that you can start to think about when you think about chemical-based machines. Now, of course, 
we're a long way away from having small nanomachines or chemical-based soft robotics inside of us. But it shows you what you can do by taking a concept that we are familiar with in our modern world, our industrial revolution, and apply it to the soft world of chemicals and biology. Some great work published in the journal Matter with authors Abhijit Lasker, Oleg Shkalev, and Anna Baldas. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From magnetically activated and curing glues to ways we can create simple machines using simple chemical processes applied to some sheets. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.